What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. 1741 was one of the greatest years for writing songs and songwriting of all time. It was on August the 22nd, 1741, when a guy by the name of George Frederick Handel began composing a masterpiece that would later be called Messiah. 24 days of composing and digging into this song would eventually lead to the completion on September 14th, 1741. I'm sure if you've ever been to any Christmas concert of a big choir, or maybe you sang in a choir at some point in your life, you sang a part of that song. Now in that song is what is called the Hallelujah Chorus. And Handel, after he finished writing that chorus, he said these words, I did think I saw all of heaven before me, And the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels. It's interesting. These days, when you think of Christian music, most of the time songwriters get into a room and their inspiration is to write a hit song. It's to write a song that becomes number one on the billboard charts and that will make them a lot of money. But when you go back and study the history of songwriting, you find out that That was not always the case of inspiration for individuals like Handel. In fact, the passage of the book of Revelation was his inspiration to write that great chorus. In fact, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 and 16 is where he sought inspiration to write out the words. But if you notice in our passage today, Revelation chapter 11 and verse number 15, the last phrase of verse 15 is the third verse that gave him inspiration to write that song. It says this, it says, and he that is our Lord in Christ shall reign forever and ever. You remember that chorus, that that phrase as they're singing, he shall reign forever and ever. Today, as we come to this passage of scripture, I want you to understand this, that, that the theme here is worship. In fact, notice what these elders are doing. In in verse number 16, the Bible says that they fell upon their faces and they worshiped God. Understand this, that literally the theme of heaven is going to be worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. And we will get to join these elders. We will get to join these angelic beings in the choirs of heaven in our praise and worship to God. So today, I want us to to view this passage of Scripture in light of heaven, that in light of a greater place, in light of a greater day, in light of a greater place of tranquility and paradise, far greater than this world that we're living in. And today, I have a few words I want to share with you from this passage of Scripture. In fact, I want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this statement. Give thanks and praise to God. Give thanks and praise to God. 
That is the title of the message today. That is the theme of this section of scripture. And if I could elaborate on that, as I've been meditating in this passage of scripture, seeking to, 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 to develop a, more of a lifestyle of worship in my own life, here is a, a summarization statement that I want to just summarize everything I'm about to share with you. And really, I, I want to make it personal today. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. I will give thanks and praise to God every day for the rest of my life. I will give thanks and praise to God every day for the rest of my life. That is the theme of the Christian life. Yes, going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, but in the matter of doing that, we are called to give thanks and praise to God every single day of our life. And today, as we look in this heavenly praise, this heavenly doxology that, that we will get to join soon enough with these elders as they are worshiping God and declaring his greatness and declaring their gratitude for the eternal God who has all power, who reigns forever. Until then, we can worship him in the here and now. We can worship him on this side of the portal of death. And today I want to ask and answer this question. Why? Should we worship, give thanks, and praise God? I mean, we're living in a world that, that, that has just ran far away from God. Why would we want to praise God in the middle of this society that has just forsaken God and his word? Well, today I want to share with you three reasons why we can praise God from this passage that we're about to study. In verse 15, I want to share with you, give thanks and praise to God because of his divine sovereignty. In verses 16 through 18, I want to share with you, secondly, give thanks and praise to God because he is the Lord God Almighty. And then thirdly, from verse number 19, give thanks and praise to God because of his fellowship in eternity. Today, will you walk with me as we come to this passage today? Now, now before we dive any further, understand this, that 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 the book of Revelation has seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. And we are now on the seventh trumpet. If you remember at the sound of the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for the space of 30 minutes, a half an hour. And all of heaven was hushed to silence. But it's interesting. At this sound, the sound of this seventh trumpet is the voices of these elders giving praise and honor and glory to Almighty God and Jesus Christ, to the triune God who is seated on his throne. And so today I want you to understand this, that within the seventh seal are the seven trumpets and the seven bowls or the seven vials. And specifically within, when the seventh trumpet is blown, as it is in this case, and when it will be in the future, that will begin the seven bowl judgments. And today, right before chapter 12 through the rest of the book of Revelation, before we get into the details of these bowls that are going to come and plague this earth, the Bible lets us in a little secret here that all of heaven is giving adoration to God. Now, remember in chapter 4, the theme of praise was to the Father of creation. In chapter 5, the theme was to our Savior of redemption. And now we see that this praise is a word of praise to God Almighty who will bring indignation. We can praise God because he is creator. We can praise God because he is the redeemer. And we can also praise God because he is our judge. Aren't you glad today that you're not going to stand before me at the day of judgment and I'm not going to stand before you? 
We will stand before one being, Almighty God. And this passage reveals that great truth today. And we can praise God because we know that Scripture makes an assured promise that we will all give an account, as we'll see later on. But here we see that all of heaven pauses to give praise to God because the day of final judgment is about to finally take place. And so that leads me to draw our attention now to verse 15. In verse 15, we see the seventh angel blows his trumpet. And the Bible says that there were great voices in heaven. We have no idea who exactly these voices are. Maybe they're angels. Maybe they're the elders in a, because it speaks about these elders. But, but who knows? We'll find out when we get there. But notice what it says here. It says, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. So what does verse 15 teach us about God and about, about why we can give thanks and praise to God? Well, first of all, today from verse 15, here's the first thought. Give thanks and praise to God because of his divine sovereignty. Give thanks and praise to God because of his divine sovereignty. You know, I find it interesting. So many times we get in the details of trying to determine the exact, precise interpretation of the book of Revelation, but we miss the point. We know the point of this book is the king is coming. We know that. We know that one day he's going to split the eastern sky. We get into the details of, of are these seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls, are they sequential or are they kind of all paralleling the same events? We get in those details and I'm not belittling the, the fact that we need to dig in deep to scripture and try to figure the things out. But understand this, that sometimes we can get so in the details of scripture that we miss the overarching point that here God is teaching us that not just the king is coming, but the sovereign king is coming. And in fact, I believe that the whole theme of the book of Revelation is, is this thought, that the sovereign God is coming to bring judgment to this world. That's the theme. That's the theme. No matter if you believe that the book was fulfilled back in the days of Christ or you believe it's gonna happen in the future, no matter if you believe that there will be a literal, physical 1,000-year reign of Christ or you believe we're living in the millennium right now, no matter the case, this book is revealing us that the sovereign God is coming again to bring judgment to this world. And today we can give thanks and praise to God. I find it interesting in chapter one of the book of Revelation. Listen, you're gonna see the sovereignty of God all throughout the book of Revelation. I'm gonna give you a jet tour of it. In chapter one, we see that, that John receives a vision because God, the sovereign God, gave him that vision. And then in chapter two and three, we see the sovereign God gives John a message to give to those seven churches in the, in the Asia Minor area. In chapter four and chapter five, we see these, these heavenly beings are praising God who is seated on his throne. And then in chapters 6 all the way to 19, we're going to see that these judgments are being poured out upon this world by the sovereign God who sits on his throne. And then chapter 20, we see that God is the one who's sovereign over the millennium. God is the one sovereign over the great white throne judgment. And in chapter 21, we see that God, in chapter 22, we see that God is sovereign in eternity in heaven. So what's the theme? What's the point? God is sovereign. God is in absolute total control. Yes, he is large and in charge, and we can praise God for it. He is seated right now on his throne in glory, 
surrounded by these, by these diamonds of jasper and this, this greenish emerald rainbow around these cherubims and seraphims around his throne. And then you see the seven uh, torches of fire representing the Holy Spirit. You see the 24 seats of the elders seated there. And, uh, and then around that are angels and all of those who have crossed on into eternity. There, fixing their focus and attention on one celestial being. God. Why would we praise God? Why would we give thanks to God right now in 2021? Well, we can praise God today because we believe that he is in absolute control of the the things that are going on in this world. That everything in this world answers to him and to him alone. In fact, in verse number 15, notice the first part, it says, and the seventh angel sounded. Understand this, that the seventh trumpet judgment submits to the sovereignty of God. It does. This judgment, that's a, these, these seven bowls that are, that are about to take place are a result of the sovereign God. He's pouring it out to the world because one day all the nations of this world are gonna realize God is God and God alone is God. So as we look at the book of Revelation here, We see that all of these plagues, all of these diseases, all of these famines, all of these pestilences, all of these earthquakes, all of these judgments are God sending down to an unbelieving world because of their utter refusal to repent of their sin and to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So the judgments are the last final call for repentance. The last final call for this world to get right with him. And then check it out now. In heaven, there's these voices that are going to be saying or chanting or perhaps even singing. It says, listen to the words. It says, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Listen to this. This rattled my cage as I was in the study this past week. Not only the seventh trumpet judgment submits to the sovereignty of God, but the temporal kingdoms of this earth submit to the sovereignty of God. The temporal kingdoms of this earth submit to the sovereignty of God. You know, I am thankful and in many regards, proud to be an American citizen. I love this nation, but understand this that God does not need America. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, and the church of the living God got along just fine before America came into the picture. So understand this, that God doesn't need any nation, whether it's Rome, whether it's Greece, whether it's Babylon, whether it's Persia, no matter the nation, God doesn't need the nation. But aren't you glad today that God has had a special hand of blessing on America and used this nation as kind of like a mother hub to send out missionaries all over the world and for churches to be planted and for the Bible to be soundly taught and preached in the world today through this nation? But, but understand this, that the kingdoms and the rulers and everybody who leads a nation submit to the sovereign hand of God. And here we see that, that in the tribulational period, there will be such a revolt that the Antichrist comes on the scene and declares himself to be God, but that one day will all come to an end. And God's kingdom will be established. 
You see, we often talk about all these leaders of nations, but none of them compare to the great leader of Jesus Christ. Whoever your favorite president is or was or will be, that individual can never compare to the great leader and commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. And he will actually come and establish a kingdom and will show us all how to lead a kingdom on this earth. And in fact, I believe that this right here in this section of the book of Revelation is actually, I believe it is the answer to our Lord's prayer in the gospel of Matthew chapter six, where he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then check it out now. This Lord and this Christ, it says he shall reign forever and ever. Now, not only the seventh trumpet judgment submits to the sovereignty of God, not only the temporal kingdoms of this earth submit to the sovereignty of God, but check it out now. The eternal kingdom submits to the sovereignty of God. One day we will pass from death into eternity. We will go from, from life to eternal life. And in that moment, there will be one king in charge and his name is Jesus. And this passage is revealing to us that of this kingdom, it shall never cease. And the ruler of that kingdom will never, ever cease from being the ruler. Presidents come, presidents go. Kings come, kings go. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Nations rise, nations fall. But that nation, that kingdom, that ruler will never cease. Give thanks and praise to God. Why? Why? Because of his divine sovereignty. I'm thankful today that as we look out and through our world today, all that's going on, the sicknesses and diseases and, and all the utter turmoil worldwide, understand this, God is in charge. And we can rest assured that God is sovereign. Listen, that is the only thing that encourages me in this day and time that we live in, is that God is on his throne and he's in charge. So let's give him praise. Let's give him thanks because of his divine sovereignty. But now may I draw your attention to verses 16, 17, and 18. As we understand this passage, we understand that the theme here is give thanks and praise to God. And one day we would join these heavenly beings in giving praise and thanks to God. But before then, let's dedicate our lives every single day to do that for the rest of our lives. But verse 16, 17, and 18, the second thought I wanna share with you or the second reason why you, why we all can praise God and give thanks to God is this. Give thanks and praise to God because he is the Lord God Almighty. Give thanks and praise to God because he is the Lord God Almighty. He's not just a sovereign God. He is the Lord God Almighty. Look at verse 16. The 24 elders, which just a brief reminder, this most likely there's a lot of different views on who these people are or who these beings are, but most likely these 24 elders are representatives of body of believers of all stages of history. And there, before the throne of God, it's interesting, in verse number 16, throughout the book of Revelation, they are seated on their little miniature throne before the great throne. And in this moment, the Bible says that they fall upon their faces and they worship. The word worship gives the idea of like a dog licks his master's hand and bows before his master because of the provision that, that his master gives to him. And in this moment, we see that the, these 24 elders do what we should do every day of our lives, 
fall down prostrate before God and worship him. I know we're Baptist. I get it. But it's okay to fall down on your face before God and worship him. In fact, as I read verse number 16, the thought come to me, this thought, the almighty God is the praiseworthy God. He is. The almighty God is the praiseworthy God. You see, when, when John received this vision, it was in a day of, of great paganism within the Roman world and the empire, and they were worshiping all these different gods. And here we see that I believe these seven churches in Asia Minor were encouraged of the thought that these 24 elders were falling down to worship the one true and living God, and that is the Yahweh of the Old Testament and the Jesus of the New Testament, the one true God. He's praiseworthy. No other being, no other God is worthy of our praise. And I will say this. If I was a dog, there's no other master's hand I'm going to lick than God's hand. I say that respectfully. But now I want to draw you to verse 17. We see that now the, the picture in heaven is that they are on their face before God, before God's throne, and, and they are, they're worshiping God. And here's what they're saying. Now, maybe they're singing this. Maybe they're just chanting this. We don't exactly know the terminology here. It says, it's saying, as I'm saying to you, but maybe they're singing it. Maybe they're just chanting it. Nonetheless, we see here it says, we give thee thanks. That word thanks, it just simply means to be full of absolute gratitude. And it says, oh Lord God almighty. Almighty, it gives the idea of the eternal omnipotent, all-ruling, sovereign God. That's what almighty means in the New Testament. And so as we read verse 17, the almighty God is not just the praiseworthy God, but the almighty God is the eternal, all-powerful God. The almighty God is the eternal, all-powerful God. This is the same God the elders were praising back in chapters four and five, the redeemer and creator of the world. And it says, I love the phrase here. It says, which art or are and wast or was and are to come. In other words, this is the almighty who was and is and ever shall be. And then it says, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. In other words, I think that what's going on here is they're bowing before his presence and they're, they're literally in their minds, they're saying, hey, now is the time that we've all been waiting for, for you to redeem this world back to your hand and take charge and establish your kingdom. He is the omnipotent God. This is the God that spoke the world into being. This is the God who gives you life and gave me life that without his, without him breathing the breath of life into our mortal beings, we would not be alive today. This is the same God that gave us this, uh, these eyeballs that can, that can see, it gave us ears so that we could hear, gave us noses so that we can smell what is good and what is bad, gave us the mouth so that we can ramble on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> it gave us tongue so that we can taste that good food. He gave us all these things. And so this is the great powerful God who is not just the giver of life, but the God who is on his throne. And he's the God that needs and that should receive our praise and our thanksgiving. Verse 18. What a verse. 
It says, and the nations were angry. In this moment, the nations of the world will be absolutely so irritated and frustrated with God. In fact, they will reach reprobation to such a degree that I can't even fathom. I mean, they will witness all of these plagues and these judgments and these trumpets and these seals, all of it coming out, and they will still refuse, many of them, to bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. And here they're angry. And the Bible says that, that perhaps they're angry because of all these things that they're seeing, but also because they see that God's wrath is about to be poured. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. As I read verse 18, I think about how the Almighty God is not just a praiseworthy God and the eternal, all-powerful God, but the Almighty God is the judging God. Here in this verse, along with the words of Christ and many other passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament speak about a day of judgment, speak about a time where mankind will give an account for what they have said and done. Now we know that as believers, we will go to the judgment seat of Christ and we will there be held accountable for how we lived and conducted our lives as a Christian and will be rewarded or not rewarded accordingly. But all those who don't know Christ, they will stand before God at the day of judgment, the great white throne judgment as Revelation chapter 20 speaks of. And there God will tell them, depart from me, I never knew you into everlasting fire. That is the judgment day. God's wrath will not just be poured out upon this world, but, but those who are unbelieving and refuse to bow in faith and repentance to God will experience the wrath of God for all eternity. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus came to pay our penalties so that we would not have to experience God's wrath. And here it says that the time of the dead, they shall be judged. And verse 18, it goes in to say that thou shouldest give reward to thy servants, the prophets, speaking about kind of that judgment seat of Christ, how those in the past, the church and those believers in the New Testament, believers in the Old Testament will give an account. And it says, and to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great. So whether you're a Billy Graham or whether you're the Sunday school teacher who might've taught Billy Graham, will all give an account. But then check it out now. Here it is. This is interesting. The same God who's going to reward the faithful in Christ is the same God who's going to, the Bible says, destroy them who destroy the earth. Now, this word destroy, it does not give the idea of like a demolition. It doesn't, it doesn't give the idea that you're going to put bombs in the building and watch the building just tumble down. This word destroy in the New Testament, it gives the idea of corruption and perversion. So in other words, perhaps what is going on here is that they, that they corrupted and perverted the truth of God in such a way they were going around and teaching people not to live accordingly. And so the Bible says that that same corruption and destruction that you brought upon this world is the same destruction that you're going to receive. Ultimately, we know the law of sowing and reaping, and here we see it being in effect. Verse 18 teaches us that these wicked people of the world who corrupt the world, who pervert the world, who twist the truth and teach a lie, will be held responsible. Did you know God's truth is the greatest truth in all the world? How we handle the truth of Scripture is of pivotal importance. I mean, I'm talking that the truth of Scripture is far more important than algebra you had in high school. 
It's far more important than biology you took in college. It's far more important than understanding the history of the United States of America and, and world history for that matter. Handling God's truth is the greatest truth in all the world. And so all those who have corrupted the world by not spreading that truth, twisting it, and the world system, especially in the day in which this is going to come in effect, will come to ruin. Ultimately, it's revealing to us that one day, as Peter talked about, how the world will be destroyed by a great fire and that a new heavens and a new earth will be created in Revelation chapter 21. What we know of this earth will one day be wiped away and a new one will be created. This is the Lord God Almighty who is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. Give thanks and praise to God because he is the Lord God Almighty. Verse 15, give thanks and praise to God because of his divine sovereignty. I will give thanks and praise to God every day for the rest of my life. Will you do that? Will you do that, church? Will you commit today, no matter of what has been done in the past, but this day moving forward for the rest of your life until you drop dead or you go up in the rapture that God will, will receive thanksgiving and praise from your being? Now, that being said, it's interesting, in, in chapter 10 and 11 of the book of Revelation, for the most part, John is, is taken from being a spectator of being a participant. And now in this section, John is now back into heaven seeing all this take place, and he is again a spectator. But in verse number 19, I think that what is transpiring here is, is God is seeing John, is God is giving John an extra vision of what it's going to be like in eternity. And he speaks about this temple of God. He speaks about this ark of the Testament, of the ark of the covenant. And there around God's throne are the lightnings and all the voices and thunderings taking place. But as we read verse number 19, what, what does this teach us about giving thanks and praise to God? Thirdly and finally today, give thanks and praise to God because of his fellowship and eternity. Give thanks and praise to God because of his fellowship and eternity. Have you ever caught up or hung out with an old friend and you you either you either went to a coffee shop or you went out to eat somewhere or you had them over to your house or you went to their house and and you you were catching up and and you lost all sense of time because you were just so caught up in catching up with that good friend or maybe you you go on a date with your spouse, you probably should continue to date your spouse, by the way, it's, it's a good idea. Or maybe you're dating before marriage and, and maybe you can remember those times in your life and you're, you're around that person and you're around them in such a way that you lose all sense of everything in your life and hours pass by. Well, with that in mind, I think that when we get to heaven, that's what it's gonna be like with God. Has there ever been a time in your life when you opened up scripture and you were so wrapped up in scripture that you lost sense of time? Have you ever, ever been to a church service where, where you were so caught up in what was being sung or what was being said from the pulpit that, that you just you threw away your watch and you lost track of time? Well, my friends, when we get to heaven, we are gonna be so caught up in the presence of God that time will no longer be. And we will get to ultimately fellowship with his being in all eternity. And notice in verse number 19, the first part, it says, the temple of God was opened in heaven. Time doesn't allow us to go into great detail about trying to determine exactly what this temple is. But I understand this. I believe that this is just simply John 
being able to see heaven. And that we know that one day we will get to worship with God in the heavenly temple. And so as I read that part of verse number 19, here's the thought I, I wrote down. We will fellowship with Christ eternally in heaven. We will. We will fellowship with Jesus Christ eternally in heaven. And what a day that is going to be, my friends. That we will be caught up in the radiant beams of God the Son shining down into our lives to worship Him. For kingdom come. The kingdom that has no end. The rain that will never cease. We'll get to see forever. But then it moves forward and it speaks of the temple, the ark. It speaks that, that as he saw this temple, he looked inside the temple and he saw the ark of the testament. In other words, the ark of the covenant. Remember back in the Old Testament, the ark of the covenant was, was placed in the holy of holies in the house of worship. And like Solomon's temple and the other temples in the tabernacle in the days in the wilderness. And only one person was allowed once a year to even see that ark. Now, the Jewish mind, the Jewish believers in the Old Testament, they believed in the omnipresence of God. In other words, God is always present everywhere in all times. But they believed that God's special dose of his presence was revealed on the ark of the covenant on that mercy seat. And so once a year, that high priest would march into that Holy of Holies and first he'd atone for his own sins and then he'd atone for the sins of the people. Once a year, they would do that every single year until the, the death of Christ. And we are told by biblical historians that, that in the days of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went and hid that temple, uh, excuse me, hid that Ark of the Covenant, which inside that Ark was, was Aaron's rod that budded, the, the, the loaf of bread, the manna, and then the two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. And, and all of that was to remind us about Almighty God. Perhaps the rod was to remind the people of God about the, the miracles in the wilderness. And then the manna was supposed to probably remind the people of God of his provision in our lives. And then the two tablets of stone was to remind the people of God of the law and how they're supposed to live out God's word. But then... As Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire came and destroyed the, the land of Israel, that, that Ark of the Covenant was lost. Some believe it's still alive and well today. I read, I read one theologian say that some of these Ethiopian Christians believe that it's hidden in one of their temples and nobody's allowed in the temple. <laughs> Sounds fishy to me. Whether it's buried in, in the, the caves of Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls are found, as Jewish tradition tells us, it is there. You know what? If we found the Ark of the Covenant, it doesn't matter to me. Because it's lost its significance. Why has it lost its significance? Because my friends, 2,000 years ago, there was another mercy seat where blood was sprinkled and it was on the cross. And that is the mercy seat of the cross that all people have to come to. And it is in that moment when God was glorified in such a great way. But in other words, we see that, that this place here, this Ark of the Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was a place that, that, that in the Old Testament mind, that the great presence of God dwelt there. And now as John is seeing this big temple in the Jewish mind, they would understand like Solomon's temple in all its array and glory. He would see now this heavenly temple and in the middle of this heavenly temple is the Ark of the Covenant. And, and so in other words, he is literally seeing this is where God dwells. And that is heaven. Heaven is the place where we will fellowship with Christ eternally. But also we will fellowship with Christ worshipfully in heaven. As we think about this temple, as we think about this Ark of the Covenant, it's to remind us that, that this is the one whom we worship. 
and the one we bow and the one we give praise and honor to. But then the verse goes on. It says there were lightnings, voices, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. Remember on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus? Remember Moses went on that mountain all by himself there and when he came back down, his face was like glowing because he was in the presence of God. But on that mountain, you remember where it talked about the lightnings and the thunderings that came out? You remember back in chapter four and five where it spoke about those lightnings and thunderings go out of the throne of God? And then right here again, we see these lightnings and these thunderings and these voices, these earthquakes and the great hail. In other words, I think what is revealing to us here is that this is the true, eternal, almighty, sovereign, all-powerful God on his throne. And when we come before his presence, we cannot come before his presence lightheartedly. We come before his presence reverently. So we will fellowship with Christ eternally in heaven, worshipfully in heaven, but also reverently in heaven. We will fellowship with Christ reverently in heaven. When we see Jesus Christ, our breath will be taken away. You know, years ago, I was playing peewee football. Any of you ever play peewee football? <laughs> I was normally the running back. At that age, I was just really fast and faster than, than a lot of the people that played. And, and so they would always put me at running back, and then I would sometimes be the quarterback. But, but I was this small little running back, and I would outrun everybody. Yeah, but, but anyways, this one time, I, I, I broke through the line, and I was gone. And um, I was running like as fast as I could down, and I got to the 30 and to the 20 and to the 10. And then out of nowhere, I fly up in the air. Somebody like reached down, they dove and caught my, le my foot, and I flew up in the air, and I landed flat on my face, and the ball hit my stomach, and my breath and wind was totally knocked out of me. Have you ever been there? You ever had your breath taken out of you? It's not fun. I say that to simply say this, that it's a kind of a weird illustration to illustrate this, but, but just as my breath was taken away playing a game called football as a little kid, when we come before the throne of God, our breath is going to be taken away in such a way that we will bow in complete, absolute reverence before him. You know, we talk about worship songs. In fact, all those years, people were having those worship wars about, hey, what is the best style of music to be singing? But do you have a favorite worship song? I mean, do you have a worship jam that when you hear a song and it comes on the radio that you're just going to turn it up as loud as you can no matter who's in the car with you? Well, as I was sharing about songwriting earlier, I thought it would be interesting to talk about this towards the end of the message. That back in the days of Handel and his Messiah and the Hallelujah Chorus, you know, it wasn't necessarily the goal to write a song that will make money. But in this age, that is sim it's like the goal. But as I think about a modern songwriter who might one day in a couple hundred years go down to be remembered, kind of like Handel and some of these others, I found an article of the top 20 best-selling Christian songs of all time, and seven out of those songs are attributed to a guy by the name of Chris Tomlin. And when I was a teenager, I was in high school, we went to this youth conference, and it was the first time I heard a song that he wrote. It's called, How Great Is Our God?, and in that moment, with thousands of young people, we were lifting up our voices to God and literally crying out, how great is our God? 
And verse 2, it's, here's what the verse says, and we've sung this song here before. It says, age to age he stands, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end. The Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion, and the Lamb. The chorus says, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. One day, my friends, every man, woman, boy, and girl, no matter how small, no matter how great, will realize how great the God of the Bible is. And so until then, my question for you today is will you give the rest of your life? Will you devote the rest of your life? Will you live every day from this moment forward giving thanks and praise to God? What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.